great to be with you. I was, I was in Colorado Springs this week to, uh, to meet Aaron Samuel, my, my second son, Joel. They had their fourth uh, child, and it's a third boy in a row. And little Aaron Samuel, five pounds, 15 ounces. It was just awesome to hold him. And, I mean, you could, like, hold him like that, you know, because that's pretty small. And my daughter, Carrie, my oldest daughter, was due on the 17th to have a baby, and it didn't happen yet. So guess where I'm going to go back in a few days? I'm going back over there. So I, I, I just don't want to miss that. So that I call that baby Super 8. That's because that will be the eighth grandchild. Can you believe that? It's hard to believe for a guy that's, you know, like me, only 42 years old. <laughs> okay, that's a lie. <laughs> um, coins, coins. I have a coin here. I, in fact, I got this in a coin shop in Colorado Springs yesterday morning, and we buffed it up a little bit. It's a, it's a silver dollar. It's an Eisenhower silver dollar, 1972, the year I graduated from college. So now you know I'm way older than... Uh, than what I just pretended to be. And uh, there's two sides of this coin, and that's really the theme of the message itself. The message itself deals with one coin with two sides. Well, that's true for every coin, we know that. But the two sides that we're referring to are on one side, resentment, and on the other side, gratitude. And I want to support this morning that they are polar opposites. Someone that's living in resentment is not living in gratitude. Someone who is immersing themselves in gratitude in their life is not living in resentment. Now, some of us, I notice there's an edge on this coin. Well, like every coin. Some of us live there, don't we? Back and forth with a little bit of resentment, a little bit of gratitude. Isn't that true? You know what? We're probably just about all there. I hope by the time that we're finished here this morning that you will have a new perspective on gratitude and a desire to say, wait a minute, I don't want to live on that resentment side anymore. And so uh, I want to share a couple of definitions with you first. So let's take a quick look at the uh, first slide. And I want to talk today about a conversion experience because it really will require a conversion experience to move some of our resentment. You can't, it's difficult to move it all at once, but to take some of that resentment and move it over to the gratitude side. Now you're probably thinking that's impossible. Hopefully we can define ways that it is possible this very morning. But it is a conversion experience. It's a change of mind. It's a change of heart to move from living in resentment to being marked by and driven by Two powerful words, marked by and driven by gratitude. We've got a uh, friend of the family that we call him Jubilee because he loves to sing that song. Even when we're playing cards or whatever we're doing, Jubilee, Jubilee. I'm sorry about that. I can't carry a tune. But Jubilee is what he sings all the time. In fact, Steve is his name, and he lives back in Indiana. He's always up. He's always up, all right? Uh, my daughter-in-law's here, Mel, and she knows exactly what I'm talking about. If you walk into the room with Steve, you're encouraged. Do you know anyone like that? Okay. Now, do you know any people that are the opposite? Huh? Do you know how the best test for this is this? When your phone rings and you look at the caller ID and you say, no, (laughs) no, I don't want to answer that. Come on now. 
That happens, doesn't it? Or the opposite happens. Let's look at those things. It's a conversion. Let's look at the next slide as I break down some more definitions. A conversion is the intentional action of changing your mind and heading in a new direction. Now, you've heard that defined for repentance. And so it's, this is the beginning. Conver a conversion is all of this, but more. I used to visit. Has anyone visited Niagara Falls here in the room? Just to see it. Not too many of you. I mean, you live in California. Why would you go there? But it, it is, it's pretty neat. And at the bottom of Niagara Falls, there is a hydroelectric plant. You know what that is? The water comes and it's converted from the water power and the, the, the tremendous pressure of that tonnage of water falling constantly. It's converted into electricity. That's the picture that I want us to get today, that we are going to work together to convert resentment into gratitude. Let's, let's take a look a little bit further. The discipline that we're talking about, well, gratitude is the dis discipline of choosing to run in the opposite direction away from resentment. This is a choice. This does not happen by osmosis. This will not happen because you think, oh, yeah, let me think about that for a few moments. It will require a discipline. I put the word discipline there because a discipline requires discipline. I can go really deep, huh? So profound. Discipline requires discipline. It's an action where you say, I'm going to work at this. This won't come automatic, but I'm going to work at this. Now, I will tell you, if you begin to grasp and hold on to this discipline and exercise this discipline, it will be one of the most life-changing things that you will ever experience. And guess what? People will actually like to be around you. Well, I won't say any more about that. All right, let's take a look at a passage that um, can be troublesome. Let me tell you, give you the setting for this. This is one of the parables of Jesus. Do you understand what a parable is? A parable is written so not everyone will understand it. It requires the Spirit of God working in you for you to understand a parable. It just does. And so he was sharing these parables for those people that were not getting it, were not interested in the kingdom of God, not interested in what Christ was doing. They wouldn't really get it. In fact, a lot of the disciples, a lot of those men, they didn't get it for quite a while. And that's why a lot of parables need to be actually explained. This is the parable of workers in the vineyard. I thought that was appropriate for Temecula, right? Because we have workers in the vineyard. We have some people that are sitting around different places waiting for work day in and day out. And you see them in different places waiting to be picked up for work. You got that picture? That's what's happening here. For the kingdom of heaven, and that's, that is what is coming on us now, but it's not here in all of its fullness, and we are wanting to embrace that in our life. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Is like, and that's the way a parable goes, it always compares it to something, a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius, that was pretty good pay, for the day, and sent them into the vineyard. About nine in the morning, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard, and I will pay you whatever is right. 
He didn't tell them. He didn't promise them a denarius or anything else. He just said, I'll pay you what's right. So they went. Next one. Now we have from noon until evening. He went out again about noon and about 3 in the afternoon, and he did the same thing. About 5 in the afternoon he went out and uh, found still others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one has hired us. They replied. He said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his forum, call the workers and pay them their wages. Beginning, catch this, with the last ones hired and going on to the first. Jesus said at the beginning of this parable, the last shall be first and the first shall be last. And at the end of this parable, he says, the last shall be first and the first shall be last. All right, let's go on. Now about the payment. This is the payment portion of the parable. The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. Well, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute. And, and they were paid first? Huh. So when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive what? I mean, come on. You know, if there was a union guy around, well, they'd have fixed this. All right. But each one of them also received a denarius. Same thing. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us who have, been, who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. Is anybody troubled by this parable? Come on now. Come on, be honest for a moment. This is a difficult parable. And it shows the mind of, of Christ, the mind of God, is not exactly like our mind. In fact, his ways are not our ways, and our ways are not his ways. It's counterintuitive for sure, is it not? It, so you see what begins to happen here in this parable that he's, you know, I think a lot of times Jesus gave parables just to mess with them. Okay? You know what? God does just mess with us sometimes. But what do we know about this parable? This parable is grounds, it's fertile ground for resentment to grow. Is it not? Fertile ground. It would naturally be, a, a natural reaction would be to be resentful. Especially, come on now, not only is he paying them a full denarius that he's paying, uh, that we're getting paid, but we had to sit and watch them get paid first. It's very difficult to wrap our arms and minds around, but you know what? It lays a foundation for what we're going to talk about for the next few minutes together. Um, how was it, if I was one of the ones that started first, how is it that I started to become ungrateful for what I got? I'll tell you what it was. I began looking around to what others were receiving, what was happening in others. And as long as I focused on others rather than the gift and what I received, I could easily become ungrateful. It's the very thing that happened to Peter as he was walking on the water for a little while. What happened? He began looking around at the trouble and the difficulty. When we focus our eyes 
beyond ourselves and we start watching other people and what they get or what they don't get and how this works out and what they're gonna how they're gonna react how they our minds are messed up as soon as we start going there that's the other side of the coin that moves us and for fertile ground for resentment uh, a lot of what I have been thinking about these last number of months comes from a guy named Henry Nowen who uh, died a number of years ago, died in his early 60s, but did a lot of very, very profound writing in a number of areas. And he gave a definition of resentment that I want us to take a look at now. And that definition is this. Resentment is a passion, a paralyzing set of complaints that makes us feel angry and frustrated when the people and institutions on which we have made ourselves uh, frustrated with the people and institutions on which we have made ourselves dependent. I want you to think about that. Now, uh, resentment is more than that, but that's really at the core of resentment. Think about it for a moment. Paralyzing set of complaints. How easy it is to move there. I don't want to jump ahead of my message, but I want to at least touch down on that just for a minute. This is a touch and go. It's a preview. It's foreshadowing. All right? Give you an idea of what we're going to look at. But it paralyzes us. And we just, just grumble. Grumble. In fact, when Jesus called Zacchaeus down out of the tree and said, I stay at your house tonight, you know what all the people were doing? It says right there, they were grumbling. Man, I resent that. I, Jesus, I want Jesus at my house. Not that little tax collector. We hate him anyway. It makes us feel angry and frustrated with the people and institutions upon which we have become dependent. I want to look now at the roots, the roots of resentment. Now, I want to be extremely careful for, with the first couple of roots on this list because I know there are people in this room that have had suffering and pain and loss. So I want to be extremely, extremely careful. I am not throwing stones. Um, 38 years ago today, uh, my mother died from a six-year battle with cancer. And I was thinking about that as you think about that when that kind of the, uh, the anniversary of something like that happens. And obviously, I was a, 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 a in grade school. <laughs> no. <laughs> okay, so I was a young adult. But I remember the difficulty of that time. You know what I remember? She battled cancer for six years, and we prayed for her, and we saw other people healed. I, my oldest son was healed at the same time, uh, just miraculously, but she wasn't healed. But you know what marked her life? Gratitude. I never heard her complain. You know what? She, I'm sure in her quiet hours or in her alone hours, she probably cried out to God a lot. You know, why am I going through this? Why is this happening to me? But the testimony of that woman over that six years is, is probably the, the primary thing that helped formed me in the area of the decision toward gratitude. Now, have I resented some things? Have I gone over to the side of the coin and the other side of the coin from time to time? Yeah, I've done that. 
But that example of how someone handles suffering and pain to me was absolutely incredible. Now, I know there may be someone in here that's lost something that is so difficult, it's even difficult for it to even think about it, is paralyzed. I, I, when I think about that, I think about the hardest thing I could imagine losing, that I have four children and, and uh, eight children now because of their marriages and soon to be eight grandchildren. Maybe I have eight grandchildren right now, I don't know. Um, to lose someone like a child or a grandchild, I can't even, I don't even know how to go there as far as that goes. That's why I'm being very, very careful with this. So I don't want to be offensive at all. However, there is a way to begin to look at things that can be revolutionary for your own life. Now, I'm not going to be so nice about the rest on this, rest of the things on this list. Damage pride. You know, I think that's probably the primary source of resentment. It may not be, and maybe you would test me in that and say, well, have you considered this? But think about it for a moment. When our pride's damaged, resentment, and it's, it's, it grows up really fast, okay? Love not returned can absolutely create resentment. I know in different stages, even with our own children, we feel like we're going through periods of time like that. And that's really, really painful. Hard work not recognized. Anybody? Can you, anybody relate to that? Even at home. You know? Wherever it may be. Yeah, go ahead. Come on, Herb. to deal with this today. <laughs> Hard work not recognized. That is, a, that is a source for a lot of pain, is it not? It really is. And we can all relate to that at one time or another, wherever we're at. And just, and it's a gradient of that, but unfair treatment, just being treated unfairly. We don't see it as much in our country today, as many people do, but we still see it, where people are just flat out treated unfairly. All roots of resentment. I put etc. down there because we could have made this list long, 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 long. You're probably thinking right now, man, Malik, you forgot about this, this, and this, and this, and this. And maybe I did, but you didn't, so you got it, all right? I'd like to look at a passage of Scripture very quickly. We're going to put it up here, one verse. I think just captures this. And I want you to, to pay attention to some of these words. First of all, the first three words says, see to it. See to it. So that's a directive. This is out of the book of Hebrews, where it's a directive. See to it. In other words, make sure, exclamation point, do this. If you don't do anything else, see to this. Got it? This is really, really important that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. Let's break it down a little bit. That no one falls short of the grace of God. That's not merely about falling short of the grace. What's grace mean? Unmerited favor. 
something you receive you didn't deserve. A good thing. Because sometimes you receive bad things you didn't reserve, deserve. This is something good that you receive that you didn't deserve. And that is forgiveness. That's Jesus in the courtroom when they, the gavel goes down and they say, guilty. Here's your sentence. It's death. He stands up. He says, I paid. I paid his. I paid hers. I paid their penalty. That's grace. This is talking about not having a full recognition that you are a recipient of that kind of grace. Don't fall short of that. Don't cut that off. Keep that in your mind at all times. You are receiving grace. I am receiving grace. And that no bitter root grows up. How, how big's the root? Okay? It could be a tiny, tiny, tiny little root. Just a little root. And then it gets like this. Then it's like this. And it's like this. Huge. That no bitter root grows up to cause trouble for you. You know who is the, the victim of bitterness is the bitter, bitter person. That's the victim. Other people, there are other casualties along the way, but the true central victim is the bitter person. That no bitterness grows up to cause trouble and defile many. Let's break that down. I have uh, prepared a quick list in another slide of the nature and the effect of resentment. You don't have this on your notes, so you may need to turn it over and just write these down because um, I worked a long time thinking these up. So, Actually, some of them, a few of them came out of uh, the same writings by Henry Nouwen, and some of them came out of just thinking through what I come across day in and day out. The nature and the effect of bitterness. First of all, it is prevalent. It's even prevalent in the church. Now, fortunately, in the church, there's a remedy, remedy, and that's Christ and his work. But it is very, very prevalent. Um, I, I work directly with uh, about 108 to 110 churches. And I can't go into details, but I can tell you not only are some people in a congregation victimized by this or it's prevalent with them but there are some pastors where it's prevalent as well and that is one of the most difficult things to ever deal with but I'm telling you bitterness it leads me to the next one is often masked do you know if you are a bitter person do you know who knows about it pretty much everybody Except, catch a person. Thank you, Taylor. I, I'm serious. I mean, bitter people don't know they're bitter. Or if they do, they don't care, right? It's the way it is. 
just let that bounce around a little bit. It's often that. Would you be brave enough to have somebody tell you, you know, you're, you're bitter about this? And not go, I'm not bitter. You're bitter. <laughs> Happens all the time that way, by the way. It's progressive. The, the next two kind of fit together, but there are some subtle differences between the two. It is absolutely progressive. Uh, resentment is. It just, it has a way of advancing and things get, you ready for this? Bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And it gets so big, it's like the Hatfield, the McCoys, you know, what was the original fight? Or whatever it may be. It could be just this tiny, tiny, tiny little thing that has aggravated you and it didn't work out the way you wanted it to work out. And so you started to set up camp you know, a battle camp, and you started finding people to agree with you. That kind of goes to the next two. It's infectious and communal. If you're bitter about something, do you know how hard it is to find other people to join with you? Usually not real hard. Because they find kind of this nerve to strike with you. Didn't it bother you when they said this to you too? Well, yeah, it did. Never really thought about that much before, but you're right. And yet, pretty soon you can get a whole mob of people. And they're together in this. I mean, think of it. Jesus Christ, one week before the crucifixion or the trial, what were they doing? They were laying palm branches in his way and singing, Hosanna, right? Hosanna to the king. Hosanna. And Hosanna became, crucify him. In a week. Resentment. And, and you know what? It even says in the scripture there, I, I recall this from the, the trial and the crucifying, and many of the people did not know what they were saying. It's real easy to get a bandwagon full of resenters. By the way, because you have a plurality of people that are resenting something and very few are standing a different ground does not mean because you have the plurality that you are right. Okay? It's infectious and it's communal. It spreads. It's divisive. It really does. It divides people. It divides churches. I've seen that happen. And and often the churches don't know why they're divided. You know, you go back to the original reason, and it's usually divided over personalities. Well, I like that guy, but he's wrong. I don't care. I like him. I, I, I like to run that one up the flagpole and tell you how many times I've heard that. You know? People will follow someone wrong right into the pit. They will. That's why this message is so important today. It's important and critical that you know. You know where you stand with God. And in a moment, I'm going to move over to the, the gratitude side. Actually, we're 
most of the way through this sermon. So hang on and really pay attention. It's destructive. It tears lives and families up. It's so, so costly. Why do you think that Jesus in John chapter 17, in his last major prayer to the Father, spent most of his time on this theme? My Father, may they be unified. May they be one, the church, as we are one. So that they may see you. Why do you think that was the major theme of his prayer? You think he thought, oh, I've run out of things to pray today? Let's pray for unity. No. Jesus Christ, who is God, knew. He knew what would try to tear the church apart. And he knew resentment and bitterness would be at the root of it because it would divide people. And it would divide purpose. And it would divide vision. And it would tear us in different directions. It would neutralize us. Or worse. And then it's defiling. Now I put that word in here because of this. This is sin. Resentment is sin. Now let me say a word about sin. We think sin, a lot of times, was a list God made because he wanted to keep us miserable. Not doing this, not doing that. Right? Sin is a list. And he's talked about by God because he knows sin will defile us. It will hurt us. It will damage us. He doesn't talk about sin just so he can keep a scorecard and make a determination who makes it and who doesn't. Sin has nothing to do with that. That's the deceiver that allows you to think of sin like that. He wants you to think of sin of things you can't do just like the garden. You can't eat that tree, huh? Where God knows you don't want to know about evil. You don't want to know about evil, Eve. You don't want to know. Now, wait. You mean we can't have that? You don't want to know about evil. It's defiling. Resentment is evil. It's not a little bit of evil. It's entirely evil. All right, let me talk about gratitude. <laughs> Getting pretty heavy. Gratitude, another slide. Well, what do you do with gratitude? You rehearse it, you repeat it, you consider it, you practice it, you share it, you speak it, you sing it. Here we go. I know there's overlap in some of these words. That's okay. I'm putting an emphasis on it. You rehearse it. I used to think of the little song, you know, Sunday school song or whatever. Count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your many blessings and see what God has done. Some of you know the song. Some of you never heard it before. It's not a ditty. It's a lifestyle. It's that powerful. It's not just for children. Children get it because of their hearts more pure. But it's for all of us to rehearse it, to repeat it over and over. Dear God, 
what do I know about the Psalms? When I read the Psalms of David, you know what I know? They're repetitive. Okay? They repeat. He's repeating over and over. Oh, my God, I have sinned against you. Forgive me. Oh, you are the most glorious God. I lift your mighty name. You're above all names. Consider it, to think about it, to write about it, to jot it down. When we read a scripture, say, wow, how good is God? I mean, how good is God? See, the major thing that keeps me away from resentment, sometimes I slip and fall there, like we all do. The major thing that keeps me away from it is when I start thinking about all Christ has done for me. I got to tell you, every time I get up uh, this week saying, I can't believe I'm getting up in front of a group of people to break open the word of God. I hope the word of God's good because I'm not. Seriously. I mean, it is awesome. The hand of God and what he has done. You know, when I hold a five pounds, five pound, 15 ounce little baby boy, and I say, You kidding me? This is mine? You kidding me? What do I deserve? A lump of coal, something else. Think about what Christ has done for you. Just go ahead. Take a moment. Think about it. Make a mental list. Just a few. Consider it. Practice it. Practice repeating gratitude. All right? Share it. Kind of like speaking, but share it has to do with involvement and investment in another life because of gratitude. The best response of gratitude, the outward, natural, uh, reciprocal, uh, residual, all of those words, response, is to share your gratitude on somebody else. See, we get hung up a lot of times. Man, that church, they preach and then they take an offering. Yeah, we're going to take an offering. It's not, it has nothing to do in its intrinsic motivation. And the body of Christ, it needs, it, it takes dollars to function to do ministry. All right? But that's not the point. That's the residual. The point is, you mean I get to share a piece of what he's done for me? I mean, really? Speak it into the life of another person. Gratitude. I mean, it's like, it's like um, water on a fire, on a wood fire. <laughs> Oil fire, not so good. Water on an oil uh, wood fire, okay? You just put that on there, and it's like people are negative. And uh, all you have to do when somebody's really negative, just speak a few positive things. Watch them turn and walk away. <laughs> I've, I've practiced that. It's it's kind of fun. You know what I love about that person after they said something. You know what I really love about that person is they just sing it. 
That's what we do here. That's what we're going to do in just a little bit. We're going to sing that praise. Now, how many of you like to be around bitter and resentful people? No one. My, my father-in-law is 92 years old. He's over in Town and Country Manor. That's a place over in Santa Ana. And it's owned by the Christian Missionary Alliance, our group. And it's, it's a really, really big place with everything from apartments to uh, partial care, skilled care, you know, all different levels of care. And he's over there at 92 years old. And when he went in, he just had assisted living because he was able to walk in. And just a few months later, he had another stroke. His mind is incredible. Uh, I cannot remember or recall things like he can. World War II veteran that served this country, but he's got the most incredible mind, great sense of humor. I mean, at 92 years old, it's unbelievable, but you watch his body falling apart. He's losing his body. You, you know what I'm saying? So I was with him this week. I said, how you doing? He says, well, I know I'm not going to walk anymore, and I know somebody has to take me to my meals, and I know somebody has to take care of my regular needs, and somebody has to put me in bed, but I'm doing really well. <laughs> and, and I mean, he's just so positive. I'm doing really well. I'm like, man. In, in my life, I, I've thought about, try to think about that a lot. I'm, right now, I'm, I'm BH, which means between Harleys. And I sold my last Harley to pay for my uh, last daughter's wedding. So I've been looking. I'm, I'm looking for another one, and I'm thinking to myself, you know, when things start falling apart, I'm going to just have a really fun ride somewhere in the hills. Like, woo, it's all over. Okay, I don't know if I'll really do that, but I don't want to even think about what I've watched him going through. What a model. He's just, he's always lived a life of so much gratitude. I mean, I am a blessed man to have the mother I had and the father-in-law I had. Because every time I start getting a little bit, mm, I want those images to come into my mind. Let's talk about resentment and compare it to gratitude for just a minute. We're almost done here. But I made a list, and I think this is a really good list for you to take a look at through this week and the next days. Resentment blocks action. It does. It just freezes you up. Now, gratitude lets you move freely. Resentment clings to the negative. Oh, did you hear about? You're looking for the negative. Oh, I want to talk to them because they've got all the juice. They got all the message. I want to hear about it. But gratitude releases the tension. Go ahead. Take a deep breath. Release it. This is a good one. It just releases the tension that why am I fighting this battle? Why? Resentment is a prisoner to anger. Well, gratitude frees you to forgive. All right, I can forgive you. Yeah, it really hurts what you've done, but I can forgive you. Guess who just got the release? <laughs> you did. You did. Resentment fatigues and it exhausts. It just wears you out. It's hard work. Especially if you're getting other people to rally with you. You know, it's taking all your time. 
with gratitude, it renews new vitality. It's like, I've got energy from this. Resentment is marked by revenge. I'm going to get my pound of flesh. Merchant of Venice. See, I read something when I was in school. Some of you said, I said that to one of my children this week. Merchant of Venice. And they went, what's that? Okay, so now you can go ask somebody today. Pound of flesh was the theme of that book. I'm going to get my pound of flesh. And it just consumes it. But gratitude's marked by forgiveness. There's a, there's a story in the New Testament. And it's about a guy that owed the king $10 million. A lot of money. More than he could ever pay. And he goes to the king and he begs him, please forgive me, forgive me. I need to take care of my family, blah, 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 all that. And the king says, I forgive you. And the same guy that just got forgiven finds out, discovers somebody else owes him a fraction of what he owed the king. And he goes to that person and he says to him, give me my money. Choke them. I need my money. And the guy says, please forgive me. Forgive me. I, I don't have it. I don't have it. What's he doing? Throws him into prison. He doesn't forgive him. That's a picture of everything I'm talking about here today. You are so totally forgiven. Totally forgiven. So by what measure do you even have any capacity not to forgive someone else? By the way, it didn't work out so well for the guy that threw the guy into prison because he was cast into outer darkness. Resentment entangles in distractions. You can't stay focused. You can't stay on a vision. You can't stay keep doing things that need to be done for the body of Christ and to reach people and to make an impact in the community. You can't. You're distracted when you're resentful. You're tied up. But gratitude clear, gives clear focus. By the way, when you are full of gratitude, you can recognize bitterness and resentment from a mile away. I know it just jumps out at you somehow. You say, wow, hmm, good. But don't judge that person because you were there to <laughs> help them. Resentment cuts off your view. And gratitude, this may be my favorite one. It anchors you beyond this world. When you're full of gratitude, it anchors you beyond this world. Do you see that? Now you're thinking about the eternal view of what you have ahead of you. And you say, you know, everything here is not so big. <laughs> it's not such a big deal. It really doesn't matter that much. But what I'm storing up for there. Because remember I said one other week, well, a lot of you weren't here, but if, if there was a timeline of all eternity across the room, you're like a little dot. We're not even a little dot. We're not even that. We're just like a, going to get out a, you know, microscope or something to see it. In terms of eternity, if you are anchored beyond this world, then the gratitude fills your heart and your life. I'd like to make a case for gratitude 
Um, actually, worship team, wait just a, just a minute. Let me read through some of this because I, I got distracted by you guys last time. So we'll do this, and I'll, I'll tell you when to come. I'm just going to read Psalm 103, and it's the end of the, end of the message, okay? Um, if you're not familiar with Psalm 103, you want to read it like a, a thousand times this week. <laughs> just read it a few times at least. It is that incredible, and to me, it's a flashlight on gratitude. It takes me back to gratitude over and over again. So Psalm 103. Praise the Lord, O my soul, all my inmost beings. Praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of his benefits. He forgives all my sins, and he heals all my diseases. He redeems my life from the pit. Okay, is there enough yet? Are there enough benefits? Yeah, but we're not done. We're just getting warmed up. And he crowns me with love and compassion. He satisfies my desires with good things so that my soul is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his deeds, to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. All of this is a picture of the eternal. He does not treat us as our sins deserve. Thank God. Or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is the love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. That's pretty far. As far as, as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. The wind blows over it, and it is gone. You know that little dot? And its place remembers it no more. But from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him. And his righteousness with their children's children. And with those who keep his covenant and remember to obey his precepts. The Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all. Praise the Lord, all you his angels. Come on up, Brian. You mighty ones who do his bidding, who obey his word. Praise the Lord, all, all his heavenly hosts. You his servants who do his will. Praise the Lord, all his works everywhere in his dominion. Praise the Lord, O oh my soul. Now's your opportunity to sing it. Praise the Lord.